Hey everybody, welcome back to the show, episode 49 of the live show over on YouTube. Uh, this episode, we just kind of let the chat lead the conversation. We got into all kinds of good stuff on this one. You guys are really, really like this one. Before we get into the episode, uh, I got to tell you about something that Exodus still has going on for a little bit longer here. Um, and that is their new Exodus Rival trail camera. Um, it's going to start shipping uh, around February 6th. The MSRP on that thing is going to be $179. And you can save $30 at checkout with code LAUNCH. And the code is live only while supplies last or until February 14th at midnight. The Rival is a budget-friendly cellular trail camera that is reliable, hardworking, easy to use, but still feature-rich. Over the last year, the Exodus teams were working hard behind the scene, building their next generation of cameras, taking consumer feedback, and delivering, in their opinion, the best budget cell camera on the market. The camera is also backed by the Exodus 5-year no BS warranty. It's built with the same durability you're used to when it comes to Exodus, but with lightning fast cellular capabilities, easy to use and set up, and great photos. Their, their goal with this camera was to design something simple, yet very effective trail camera uh, that just flat out works. So, use the code LAUNCH to save $30 off each camera while supplies last or until February 14th gets here at midnight. Help support the podcast and Exodus by using the code LAUNCH at their website, exodusoutdoorgear.com. Alright, let's get into the episode. Hey everybody! Hey, welcome to the show. Hope everybody's doing good tonight. Our uh, we're just going to get on here tonight and kind of let the chat lead the conversation tonight. So just leave your topics or questions or whatever you got in the comments over there, and me and Dan will start to kind of chat about them. So if you guys want to start doing that, and then I'll me and Dan will just chit chat for a while while those build up in the comments. But what's uh what's been going on, Dan? Not a lot. You are in the final stretch now of your season. Yeah. yeah, it's getting rough now. At least we got some snow on the ground now. So I'm hoping that uh, after it sits for uh, the night, then maybe tomorrow I can pick up some tracks. Yeah. That's a, uh, yeah. That, hopefully that happens at a good time and you'll be able to score the next week. Yeah. It's, there's no problem getting on the little stuff, but the, the big ones are pretty elusive right now. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I haven't, uh, I've been out kind of walking around the last what, week or so and I haven't picked up any sheds or anything. Are you guys finding, in, is, have you t- heard of people with picking up a lot of sheds around you? Yeah. There's a lot of guys pick them up. Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. So I don't even know if my target buck still has his antlers. Right. But uh, right. I'm assuming he does, but I don't know for sure. Yep. When's the last time you got a picture of him? Um, a couple of weeks ago, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess a lot, lot can change in a couple of weeks or Actually, an hour. More than a couple of weeks ago, it was in late December. I just didn't check the camera until now. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, he made it through the hard times though of the deer season. Yeah. Um, well, the thing is too, he could be. Um, he could be on the public land in a very vast area, or he could be on private. It's kind of like sure. split in the middle there. Uh, I believe 
based on the terrain and uh, and such, I, I believe he's on the on the public. But uh, is it just not very good area in the? Well, it's know. not very many trees or anything like that. It's kind of a not a very um, not too many people hunt there, which is why he's probably there. But it's right. uh, kind of a vast area with a few trees and. But I, uh, I think um, with snow, if he's in there, I can cut his tracks, figure out how he's coming in and out of there, and uh, get a hunt on him, mm -hmm. uh, a good quality hunt instead of this random hopping around stuff hoping. Yeah. You know, but uh, yeah. Gosh, it'd be so awesome if you'd get on him this end of the season and kill him. You you know you know you get to this point in the season and and you're not seeing him, and you know he's around or something. You get right. kind of that back against the wall thing where you got a week left and you, you're like, uh, you feel like, uh, you know, it's impossible. You look at your odds, you know, like he's in this whole area. What are my odds? But what makes me get up and go out there and go after it every day is the fact that, you, you know, I've done that before. I put my back against the wall and killed those bucks. Yeah. And uh, that success teaches you that it's not as hard as you, you get stuck in your head. You know, if you really sit back and think about it, there's only so many places or so many ways even coming out of there. Right. And, uh, if he's really, the area might seem vast, but there's probably only about 10 different spots he could be coming out of there. And if you hit it right, you get your crack. And the snow really helps because now that I got snow, if I can cut one giant set of tracks. It's probably you know, the other. There's two other bucks in that same area I was hunting and they both got shot. Gun season. Mm. So, uh now it's just a pile of uh does and most of them are pretty young i don't think there's gonna be any mistake in his track so have you thought about like taking any vacation off work and trying to find him no i'll just uh i'll hit i'll hit it hard uh tomorrow on the tracks and i think uh i've, I've got some things going through my head i mean anybody who's uh, fairly successful is always sitting in the the back whenever something's going on like when you're at dinner with the wife or whatever you're just staring at her smiling thinking about how you're gonna do your, <laughs> your hunt that evening right Not but me. uh i'm always plotting and planning i know you can't say that because your wife's listening <laughs> but that's true i mean it's just a, it's a yeah it's it a, is what it's just uh it's just how it is. And, yeah. if you're successful you're always planning and plotting and i've been thinking about uh trying a morning hunt on this one spot where i think he could be living and uh, I think that could pay off. Um, but I just keep thinking about the hell I'm going to have to go through to get there in the morning. Um, I don't know the area as well as some of the other areas. And it's like a mile and a half of uh, just complete, utter nastiness that you have to fight your way through. So doing that in the dark is going to be pretty hard. And early enough in the dark to beat them there because there's no real path or anything. But uh, I might try that. You know, I haven't had enough pain in my life yet, so. <laughs> You'd break the internet if you shot a buck late season in the morning. Uh, yeah, it would. Yeah. Uh, it was that, if it was that big, you know, a, a big one. Uh, the, tr the trouble is, too, we're going to drop in temperature here now coming up quick. And uh, then getting back there, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get all sweated up and freeze my butt off. It's going to be a yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I got some stuff I'm, I got going through my heads. So I got some – there's one spot – you know, where I'm thinking he has to be feeding, but is he getting there in daylight and is he bedding close enough? So there's a couple of spots I want to try. We'll see what happens. I, the, the buzzer is going to go off pretty soon though. This is the yeah. last 
Yeah. You guys, what, when's the 31st or whenever it goes out? The Yeah, I think it goes it, out on the 31st. Uh, I have to look to make sure. Tuesday? Um, yeah, Tuesday. I think it's Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess you wouldn't. You pretty much have the rest. You, you're off tomorrow, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Then it's uh, the start of the 2023 season after that. Starts all over again. I uh, the workshops are coming off, and I did. I'm gonna announce a winner tonight at the end of the show um, nice. from the the comment section. Uh, I'll just uh, reply to the comment that won, and if you guys, whoever wins, gets back with me, and if not, we'll I'll pick another one like the next day because it's coming up pretty soon. I want to give everybody time to make sure they can uh, get to the it's workshop. About a week away, right? Or two weeks away? Week and a half? Yeah something like that week and a half. Yeah. So, uh, there was a, there was quite a few people that commented. So it was, it was, uh, it was good. They, I, did you say you probably have to go to the fourth, the, what is it? The fifth or fourth or fifth? Yeah, The fifth, the fifth would be better than uh, the last one. The last one's pretty crowded. Okay. The fifth's got plenty of room. Yeah. Okay. So we'll do that at the end of the, End of the show. You want to talk about our new story? It's a pretty interesting one. We probably talk about for a while. Sure. <laughs> I had it. Uh, Dan had it sent to him a couple times, and I had it sent to me a couple times, and um, it's just conveniently uh, taking place up in the UP, which was where you guys were just at. <clears throat> wow. And uh, essentially, what happened was uh, a young man, I think he was in his early twenties, got caught cutting someone's straps on their tree stand on public land. And the guy ended up falling like 15 feet. Um, and if I remember right, Dan, you can correct me if I don't recall the story properly, but um, the guy fell the first time. Um, and then they kind of started investigating it, right? And they reset up the stand and they caught mm -hmm. the guy doing it again. Well, you got to uh, start they, the story from the beginning. What, what okay. happened was... Um, oh, yeah. I'm missing, I'm missing one. Go ahead. You tell it. And and a, a camera to hunt out of yeah. uh, in Michigan, UP. Um, you, you know, a lot of those guys from that region uh, pick a spot. They put up a stand and a camera, and it's where they hunt. I think a lot of people do that. But So he comes back to check his camera, and the card's been cleared. And there's a note on his camera that says, this is my spot. Stay out or something like that. Um, and it, it's got a guy's phone number on it. So he calls the guy, and the guy's like, hey, I've been hunting her for years you know, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, well, I just came in here set up. I didn't know anybody was in here. And he's telling the guy, it's public land. I can hunt where I want kind of thing. And the guy's getting more and more worked up and worked up to the point where the guy just says, okay, I'll, I'll stay out. And he didn't really plan on staying out. He just wanted to get him off the phone or whatever, get away from him. So he stays out of there for a couple of weeks or whatever. Then he finally goes back. He climbs up the, and gets in the tree stand and boom, tree stand blows off the tree and he falls. And the strap had been cut completely through except for a strand. And uh, he goes home, calls 911. Turns out he's, he's I, guess, I guess he was okay. He did have to go to the hospital because he had a, yeah. uh, some medical expenses. But he, he, he came out of it okay. Um, but falling out of a tree stand is a pretty serious thing. Yeah. And uh, um, his uh, card had been cleared again when he went out there. And... Uh, the, the DNR warden started an investigation 
And while he was doing the investigation, this guy went out and uh, fixed his tree stand, I guess. And when he when he did so, he got a text from this guy because the guy still had his phone number, mm-hmm. saying something to the degree of, "Oh, you're still going out there? You, you know, um, I think we better work this out, right? Because I've been hunting this area for years or whatever. You're you're just going to come in here and try and take it over on me, kind of thing." So uh, he knew he was being watched on a camera. So then they knew there was a camera watching them. So the warden doing the investigation came out and checked the camera. And the guy had pictures of himself um, cutting the, the straps and stuff. Yeah. So he, yeah. Had, he left that on his camera that he had there to hidden to, to film this guy getting into his tree stand. So yeah, yeah there's more pictures. Yeah. Here's the picture of him cutting the, you see his pocket knife or whatever he has out there cutting it there. Yeah. Uh, it looks like the guy is going to spend some time in jail for it. You can yeah, what did he get, 60 days or something? Yeah. 60 days, he's got to pay the guy's medical fees, and he got kicked out of college. Well, I think he was already kicked out, they said. I think that's how it, it read. Was, was, he, it said he was um, not kicked out. He was uh, expelled or something. Like suspended, yeah. Suspended, yeah. Um, and then this, this item... They just said, no, nah, you ain't coming back because yeah. he keeps getting in trouble with stuff. So he's obviously not a great character. Only 23 years old. He's got a life of crime ahead of him, I guess. Hopefully, uh, 60 days in the slammer does him some good because he could have killed somebody. Oh, yeah. Pretty easily. And he's not a very smart criminal. Right. right. He left enough evidence that uh, yeah. uh, anybody Really good break. evidence. <laughs> a, a picture of him literally uh, doing the crime. So I, uh, I hunted bear in Clark County. Um, I believe, um, Tyler, um, Tyler Witt, big hunt was with me. Mm-hmm. We were hunting bears up there and there was a tree stand up there. And I climbed up in the tree stand to take a look over a clear cut, a ladder stand. And that ladder stand was there the whole season and nobody hunted out of it. You, you know, you could see it had been there a long time. Mm-hmm. And I got up to the top of that ladder stand and it just blew out of the tree and I went flying to the ground. And I tried grabbing the tree, bear hugging it. My arms got all splintered up. I scraped myself up really bad and uh, uh, ended up with a bad limp for quite a while. I mean, I was pretty screwed up. And when we looked at it, somebody had cut that strap almost completely through on purpose to make it fall when somebody stood in it. Yeah. And I wasn't the guy that they were after. They were after whoever put the stand up, I'm assuming. But I just happened to climb up this random tree stand and, and had it happen to me. So I don't think this is a, a completely uncommon problem. I think that... Uh, there are some malicious people out there and people need to, you know, to be a little wary to be yeah. a little careful. Yep. No, I've heard, I've heard stories like this in the past. Just, um, this one was actually, I think the, it happened a few years back, didn't it? A couple of years back. To me or the one you're talking about? No, the one that this, this article, I thought the guy just got maybe sentenced recently. Yeah. Uh, chart. Um, the article's new. Yeah, it looks like it was in 2021. So when, he must have just got his sentence or something. Yeah, maybe they waited to the yeah to the final. Yeah, yeah, but anyway, so be careful if you got preset locations out on on public <laughs> or or private. I was telling Dan before I got on here, I went and checked a trail camera on one of my pieces of private. That butts up to some public and someone had, uh, I have one, one stand on the, the 
the place. And I honestly haven't sat in it for quite a few years now, but someone had pulled out the, it was just a steel uh, climbing sticks on the side of the tree, the one's 20 foot uh, or one continuous stick. And someone had pulled those out. Um, and this, the top portion was up there by the, the stand. So I got to fix that sometime this, this, uh, summer, but. Yeah. I mean, that's, that story really angers me that people would do that to somebody else. Oh, I mean, there's yeah, it's I, totally uncalled for you could kill somebody you could hurt them pretty bad. Yep. I mean, in my I mean, opinion, it's going with a, with a, with a kid. You know what I mean? You don't even yeah. know who you're dealing with. No, for sure. Um, just like you cut your example. What if some, what if some like, you know, 15 year old boy was just out there and decided he wanted to climb up in that tree stand and climbed up there and fail, you it know, probably more likely than some old guy that thinks he's 15. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, Our kids jump up everything they see, you know? Yeah. That's what I meant. They just climb up there just to climb up something. Right. I don't know. I don't, I don't go through people's head. I mean, I think 60 days in jail was appropriate. You usually think, don't see jail seal, um, yeah. sentences out of that. I think that's appropriate. I think uh, a person really needs to learn a lesson out of that. Oh, yeah. I think it could have been longer. I mean, you yeah. know, um, look at those recent uh, poaching violations we talked about with uh, like the Bomars and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they got hundreds of thousands of dollars in fines. And uh, I'm not downplaying anything they did, but what this right. kid did way worse. Oh, you got yeah. On the wrist and 60 days in jail. Yeah. I think what he did was way worse. And I'm not, like you said, I'm not like defending Josh and Sarah Bomar, but it's like you wonder if they just come down on them because they know that they got the money to pay the $100,000 fine, you know? Highest fines they ever had in Nebraska. It's hard to believe there's nobody ever poached a deer there before. Yeah. And they didn't get there. Like, it sounds like all their charges got dropped except for one, and it was a non hunting related charge. It was something like, I can't Probably remember the, uh, game across the state lines. That's a big one. Yeah. I don't, I don't, it was like, uh, I can't remember what it's actually called. Maybe someone in the comments can, uh, can find I know it. Or, or, it. it yeah. The one with taking a, taking game across a state line. It's a felony. Yeah. See, I don't think that was what it was though. I think that got dropped too. I think it was like a, um, like some kind of law where it's like, you should have known better to, than to deal with these people or so. I don't, I can't remember what it's called. Someone will, will say, I, it, it, no, I'm serious. Like everything got dropped except for that one. Um, mm-hmm. But in the, uh, Josh put something on the internet the other day about it. And he said that they could still hunt. sounds like they can hunt everywhere, but Nebraska. Um, hmm. Yeah. This kid lost his hunting uh, rights. Yeah. They haven't even determined when he's going to get them back yet. No, it was indefinitely. It said in the article. Is indefinitely uh, permanent, or is it uh, to to a certain time period? I think it's just until they decide differently, or if they are gonna. It's probably they, dependent on his parole because he's put on parole for a year. Yeah, probably dependent on how he uh, behaves, maybe. Yeah, and we could be wrong too. It maybe it's indefinitely. Maybe That's, it's this is uh, countrywide because he's uh, Michigan's got that. Uh, yeah. Law. Yeah, where he can he can't hunt in any states, um, but. I don't know. It's a messy world out there. And I, yeah, I mean, I hate, I hate that people like Josh and Sarah Bomar, like they get in trouble. Like I wish people like that just puts such a bad, bad name in like the hunting world. Like, it's just like, God, man, you got to be careful whenever you're that popular in that. I mean, they got like 300,000 subscribers, you know. That's Um, why uh, 
you know, that's why there's so much hate towards people that um, run shows and stuff. They think everybody's a bunch of criminals and stuff just to get on, on, a, on a show or, you know, and that's not necessarily the case. You know, I'm sure no. there's a lot of that going on where there's a lot of people that would do anything to be well-known or to be successful. Um, yeah. But there, there's good guys out there like me and you that, um, you know, if we get a deer, we get a deer. If we don't, we don't. We're just out having fun. Yeah. You know? And uh, I think there's a lot of people like that. Um, oh, yeah. Are... Yeah. For, for you can sure. Kinda, you I mean, can kind of, I mean, if anybody's weary, I mean, if you're a good detective or whatever, you can see it. You know, when... Um, when people are just out there trying to promote stuff or make money or, uh, right. or, uh, be famous, you know, they're just yeah. trying to do things to, you, you know, get attention. You, you can see yeah. it. You can read that. Yeah. Yep. Um, <laughs> and again, not defending Josh Bomar, but he kind of seems like he's kind of spacey sometimes. Like he could, there could be some stuff going on around him and he not notice it. Did you see that he burnt his truck down this summer? Did you see that? I, I heard about it, but I, <laughs> I I never watched. I've never even seen one of his shows, honestly. Yeah, it just. Well, I just this. It was just real popular. It was going around on social media. He was, he was. I heard about it. Nobody pot. was talking about it. Yeah, it's like God, man. Did he do it on um, purpose? Or? Oh, I would hope not. It was like a. It's like a brand new F two fifty or whatever it was. Like probably eighty. Uh, insurance fraud or something like that. But oh, no way. Words, right? I wouldn't think so. What, what but, happened? He just, uh, it just, I think he was, he was burning a food plot and it, it, uh, caught like somehow the, it got into his truck and, and got out of hand on it and burned it up. Burnt it. I think well, it burned I all into the ground. This year. Remember when I had the ATV? <laughs> oh, <stuff>? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My ATV? You trying to get the insurance <laughs> off that four wheeler? Yeah. I'm sure people would think that. <laughs> That's the most embarrassing thing having the whole town, all the fire departments all around come over and like in fault. What did you do? They're <laughs> all in my yard. All my neighbors are out staring. I'm like, oh. what kind of four wheeler is it? Is it like a is it a cheapo or something? Or is it nice? Oh, it's, one? A, it's a nice one. Oh, okay. Yeah, my brother was having some money problems. I didn't really need one, but yeah. uh, he, he needed some money quick, so I uh I gave him five grand for it. Oh yeah, it has to be no, a good one then. Yeah, there you go. If you go down to Mississippi and hunt with the guys from Light 'Em Up, you can take that down there and forward the ride after you shoot your buck. So just forward the ride around. Thing to do down there, yeah. I know. <laughs> that uh, use like a, like I get a like a, a fifty cal sniper rifle to deer hunt with. Yeah, that video turned out pretty good. I thought. Yeah. I think people liked it for the most part. Well, you you, you know, I think it's a cool video because. You, you know, you, you see, uh, you, Rick is a real hunter, you know, just out there, just trying to get a deer, yeah. love venison, wants to get a doe or buck, anything, you know, big buck or a doe is what he always says, you know, and, uh, just to see him go out there, try hard, drive all the way down there by himself and, and, uh, you know, make good friends and stuff. I mean, it's, it's a, the whole theme of the whole thing is, it's just great. It's just, yeah. uh, it brings you back to a little bit of a simpler time, you know? Yep. Yep. We should take a bet on how many uh, more years Rick can hold on to that van, though. Jeez, I would think it'd be gone by now. I kept telling him, what are you doing with that thing? You know, just shows up everywhere, you know, in that thing. <laughs> I know. It must run pretty good if it made it down to Mississippi and back again. Because that's pretty far for you guys, isn't it? Every time I tell him to get a truck, he always says, that was left to me by my father. That, that's yeah. got special meaning. I'm like, oh, sorry, man. Sorry. But we're, we're in a 
dang bear hunt. And if I got to say one thing bad about Rick, well, I'm bear hunt. <laughs> only one thing. <laughs> and he's, he's like, uh, we got one good bear coming in. And he's like, well, that's my spot. I'm like, who said that? Well, that's the only one I can get to with my van. There's <laughs> 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 like, good spots over here. Yeah, I can't get my van back here. So, okay, that's your spot. So then we, you know, then when we do get onto a big bear, I'm like, go over there, go over there. You know, when it, it's like his turn. And yeah. So I can get my van back there. Could you drive me? It's like, get a vehicle you can haul it. You got to drive through woods and over trees and stuff. This is how it is. Uh, yeah, especially up there, it sounds like. It's pretty rugged. Yeah, it wasn't uh, that bad. It was just, you, you probably should have four-wheel drive, but I mean, even without four wheel drive, you should have been able to drive the van through this. Just got low clearance and you get a little sand, you sink a little, you yeah. know? Well, it's like, uh, up in Michigan where we were hunting at this year, uh, in early season there, it was pretty, like, you'd probably want, you know, it got pretty muddy and there were some spots that were, you know, if you'd had a van there, it'd have been kind of a pain in the butt. Mm-hmm. Rick never made it, but I mean, there were some potholes and stuff that were deep. Oh yeah. Uh, there, yeah. There, there was that, that spot that, uh, I went to first with um, Eric before you got yeah. to the, Yeah. Uh, where you shot the doe. Yeah. Well, I didn't know what I was going to do. That water looked deep and I just put it to the floor and went through it. And I was like, yeah. oh, I don't know about this, but it, yeah. it went through. Yeah. Yeah. Could have been bad. I get how a van would be convenient. Like it'd keep all your crap dry and there's room in it and stuff. But as also, it's like, man, when you need four wheel drive, it's nice to have. That's for dang sure. It would be so different like, like he slept in the van or something, but he don't. He, he needs a oh, five-star yeah. motel, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know if Rick's on the tent, man. Mm-hmm. He's got this giant cot. He folds out. He's got everything. Like, he's got a whole plan. He goes in there. I just go in there and throw a bag on the floor and curl up in a right. ball, you know? And it's like he's got this whole setup. It's all yeah. prepared. They didn't, didn't – uh, I could be wrong on this or misheard, but whenever you last time you guys went bear hunting – uh, up in Minnesota, didn't you like, didn't they end up leaving and you ended up sleeping on the outside or something? Yeah. You didn't have a tent or something? Yeah, you left with the tent. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty cold out too. I you bet. Know? So I slept, I ended up uh, sleeping in the, um, like the cook tent, which really is just screen. Yeah. It's not a tent. And uh, I really didn't have anything. I froze my balls off. It was cold. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. We ran into a guy up there. I was hunting a uh, real interesting cat one time. You run into some people when you're way up in the Northwoods sometimes. Yeah. This dude yeah. just uh, came rolling in, parked, took a couple branches and made a lean to, just put it like a, a, a I mean, it was really cold out. He, he made a lean to of a, a tarp. So it was only covered on one side. You know, and just made a little fire, and he slept under this tarp. He's a real old guy with a big beard and stuff. And uh, he said that uh, he was up there bear hunting. Uh, he said something to the degree that he usually hunts by his house, but he was mad at his wife and wanted to get away from her. And uh, just went wandering through the woods, and one day he disappeared. But he was sleeping under that tarp for days in the cold. You go by him, and the whole ground would be covered with frost, and he'd have frost on him. You'd see it on his jacket when I when we'd leave camp. You could see him laying in there. <laughs> it was a tough old coot. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. Yeah. I just not going to sleeping and film that. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. 
that uh, wall tent I have now, that's pretty nice anymore, especially in the wintertime. I don't know. Hey, uh, it was it was a horse apiece. If you want to sleep outside and freeze your balls off or spin in there, <laughs> half the time freeze your balls off and half the time be so hot, you're like, oh, my God. I know. You have to get get uh, get sick from the temperature changes. Yeah, I wish there was a little bit, but better way of controlling. It probably there probably is. I probably just got to, uh, you know, get used to it or get figure out the better way of uh, controlling that wood stove. But it'd be, I think it'd be cool to do like a real winter hunt with it because it it would keep you warm enough. I mean, it, it wouldn't have any problem at all sleeping yeah. in it outside. I know. Uh, Clay Hayes does one with a group of guys in Idaho nearing like December and it's always freezing up there in the mountains and they all have a, they have one of those wall tents and it looks like it's pretty cool. Like they, they all usually a bunch of snow on the ground and they sleep in that wall tent, but Might just I heard size stove or something that can handle. Yeah. Right. Well, a couple people suggested to get a, like a negative 20 degree sleeping bag. So where to where like you get the you get it warm in there and then when you go to sleep it it stays you stay warm enough that where you won't you know won't get cold and wake up essentially yeah. um, except for in the morning when you got to get out of your sleeping bag and it's gonna be cold but whatever you know you gotta have someone there to start the fire for you but I don't know I I'll, I'll get it figured out better next year all right. There's a few questions. There's probably more. I haven't scrolled down to the bottom of the list yet, but you ready to get into these topics here? Sure. Someone asked about how many deer have you killed out of a climber, Dan? Did you uh, used to, before you answer that, was a climber your main like form of hunting back whenever they were, you know, in the nineties or whenever? No, I had, I had a climber. I had um, a lone wolf climber back when I um, helped, uh, with making them yeah um, i had the original prototype one um but uh i've killed a few i don't know how many i can only think of one off the top of my head a nice 10 pointer i got um yeah but i'm sure there's a few oh uh yeah i killed one in hill country too so i killed at least two two bucks out of them uh hill, hill country i used to climber a lot back in the day because uh there's a lot more uh, straight, limbless trees, um, immature forest. Um, but really, early on, I started realizing that I was way better off if I was going in, even if I thought I was going to a climber tree to take a, a stand in sticks, because quite often I'd get in there and, and the wind would be, well, I don't quite want to be in this tree. Or I wouldn't even make it to that spot because I'd run into something hot and be like, I'd rather hunt here. I can always go to that spot tomorrow, you know. And then yeah. if you ain't got the right stand, you're just walking past, leaving your scent there. Right. So I can I, I would say probably two or three that I shot out of a out of a climber. Yeah. Maybe more than that. I didn't know how often you used them back in the day. I, I know I've seen some videos of you with one, but I didn't know if that was like your main stand for a while or not. Mm. I used it I used it a bit for a while, um, but it got old quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I kill, I've killed quite a few deer out of a climber. Um, I had an old summit climber, summit Viper, but, mm-hmm. um, I just, I, I didn't even know any, like, honestly, I didn't even know any better. There was something better out there. I mean, when I was young, I didn't really do research. I mean, you know, I didn't, I wasn't on the internet. We didn't have internet or anything like that, you know, to, 
to know that I could buy these stands and sticks or, right. um, I just, that's what I used every year. Didn't even think anything of it, you know, didn't even look to, I was thinking about that the other day. It's like, I wish, sometimes I wish you just didn't know about things anymore. You know, it's like everything you have is probably good enough for the rest of your life and you just need to be satisfied with it and <laughs> move on, you know? I'm always a real, I'm always a real curious person about stuff that comes out and new this or that. I'm like, Oh, that looks cool. He's like, I don't need any of that crap. You know, right. um, it's like little incremental changes on things that I don't know. I just, I always I'll, think, I'll think simpler this. things. Um, go back onto the climber thing is um, there came to a point where I realized that uh, I would much rather have a stand in sticks than climbers. And I sold my climbers. Yeah. I actually, I, I gave one of them away and I sold the other one. I gave one to some kid that wanted it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I just decided I wasn't going to hold those around no more. Um, they were lighter than my stand and sticks at the time, at that mm -hmm. time. Frame. Um, but it just wasn't versatile enough. Yeah. I, I would actually, uh, um, go to a climber tree and not make it there and be thinking, Oh, I should have took a stand and sticks. And I would take the climber and climb a tree and I'd get to, to a limb and I'd take the hand climber part off and I'd put it over the top of the limb and I'd hang off of the hand climber part and undo the, the lower part and pick it up and put it over the limb. And, and really, you're practically risking your life over hunting the right yeah. tree. And all you have to do is take the right stand, you know. Right. Yep. It's hard to beat a stand in sticks, especially the technology that's out now and how good they are, you know. Yeah, once you get used to using them, they're so easy too. It's just, yeah, you can be, in my opinion, you can be quieter with them too. You can be more, um, more controlling of everything. It seems like, you know what I mean. Depending on the setup, I'm in a I'm in a tree setup ready to hunt in five to ten minutes. Yeah, being quiet. Yeah, that's what I meant. A climber. I mean, after like you set that thing, and you really, I mean, those things settle and everything else. You know, make it that makes a lot of noise when it does that. Um, you know, if you, some of them are better than others, but it's just, it's still going to happen. Yeah. You gotta be um, real or, careful not to get drag on it. So that you're not dragging bark, all kinds of stuff. You know? Yep. Yeah. They're, they're pretty cumbersome too, especially the one I had. Um, they had that. You know, the thing is too, with this, with the stand and sticks, you can get right into the exact perfect pocket you want to be. With yeah. a climber, you have to be on a straight section of the, tr the tree. So in a lot of cases, you're just sticking out too much. Yeah. You, you're, you're too wide open. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And it's your buckle spot that all the time. You know, you might get away with that with does, fawns, and year and a half, two and a half. But when they get to be five or six years old, especially on public, if you got, if you're sticking out at all, they're, they're spotting you. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I could use one a little bit here, probably still, but I mean, within the hills, whenever we have those like real straight sassafras trees that you could get up there real high. That's the only thing that'd be convenient for me to have one is in those, when you're like, you know the scenario, Dan, like whenever you have to sit down the ridge a little bit and you fr freaking can't get high enough to get lost your eye level with all the deer, that'd be nice to have a climber where you could just freaking climb way up there, you know? The one scenario uh, I, I like for a climber is uh, with that hand climber when I would gun hunt. Mm. There are certain trees I could get up like 60 feet and yeah. uh, see down into the cattails for quite a ways. I mean, you could punch a deer at 200 yards and the cattails from that high. Yeah. You know, back in the shotgun, so I didn't have that range, but but I could really see the deer. You know, where um, I would have to take 
you know, 10 or 15 sticks with me to get that high. Oh you yeah. Know? And it, you know, you know what though? Something to think about. Like, I don't know if you can do that anymore. All them ash trees, you're probably climbing a bunch of ash back yeah, then, you know, they're all dead. Yeah. I bet you couldn't even find a tree hardly to climb yeah, anymore. Pretty soon, a lot of the spots I'm killing deer on, I'm not going to be able to, because that's all I'm hunting is dead ash now. Yeah. You know, in a lot of these places I go and sooner or later, they're going to all be falling over. That's crazy to think. Um, and I haven't, I have not hunted swamps because we didn't have many around here at all, you know, until I started hunting up in Wisconsin. And by then the ash board already went through and they were all dead, you know? Mm-hmm. And I just, I'd sit there, like I'd sit there on in a swamp and look out and just think about what, how much different this place had to have looked, you know, even just a few years ago, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's sad for, for me because I lived in the days when those ash points were just yeah. awesome. Early season when they had leaf cover and they were just... Yeah full of deer and now they're like like just dead sticks sticking out of the the, the cattails and it's like yeah it's it and it almost is an eyesore yeah yeah mm-hmm. all right um philip the wise how much money from license sales actually goes back to conservation can you order the dnr uh, order uh, but he, uh, audit the dnr mm-hmm. i i don't i don't know the exact number and it probably depends on what state you're talking about too. Yeah. I know in Wisconsin, the money goes to the um, to the governor, but I think I think some of it goes back into hunting. Obviously, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the governor gets a lot of that. I think the vast majority of funding uh, for conservation comes from the Pittman Robertson Act, if I if I remember right. I think it's like an 11 percent federal excise tax on all sporting goods. So if you buy anything from you know, ski poles to ammunition to archer equipment, that all has a excise tax of 11% that goes to conservation. Uh, I think that's a big, 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 huge portion of the, where, where the money comes from. So every time you go buy a pack of broadheads or a pair of boots or whatever, anything that's related to sporting goods, they have a tax on that, that goes back to con- conservation. Yeah. I, w- I would really like to, um, to find a way to um, make the uh, DNR accountable. Um, yeah. Not necessarily for the money or whatever, but I really believe that um, they work for me. I'm their boss, as are you and everybody else that, that hunts here, you know, or where mm-hmm. you hunt. And I think that uh, before they sell a property or before they, um, you know, with, with our money, before they come in and they, cut down a forest and make a bunch of ponds and, or turn it into a dog park. They ought to find out if uh, there's enough dog park people that want that versus hunters. Um, I, I really think they should be more accountable. I really see a lot of things going on, especially right around me in my County that I don't like. Um, and there's like one guy deciding it. And when you ask him questions about why are you doing this? How are you using our money for this? He shuts down, won't answer your questions. If he works for me, mm-hmm. he has to answer my questions. You, you know what I'm saying? And it, yeah. it really ticks me off. So in that manner, not to say that that's exactly what the guy was asking about, but I do think that they need to be more accountable and more open to the public. The, um, the public should be able to see clearly what they're doing with this money and know beforehand before they do something, not go out to go hunting one day and find out their property's been sold or it's been turned into a dog park or it's been uh, you know, turned into a bunch of duck nesting ponds or you know, I, I would I would think that a discussion could happen before then, and some um, 
questions could be asked and answered about why they're making decisions that they're making. And then, um, you know, it could maybe even be voted on. Yeah, I think at the very least, they should be able to give you an explanation for all their actions, you know, like they should right. have that ready to go. I think anytime somebody doesn't want to give you an explanation, like um, when they shut me down, when I ask some tough questions, it's because he knew that he didn't have good answers. Yeah. You know. Yeah, probably so. All right. Let's see here. Let's do this one. Daniel Underwood, this is kind of a good question. Would you rather kill a 150 to 163 year old or a 130 to 145 year old? That's a good question. <laughs> I probably want to see the bucks for yeah. I want to see what they look like. Yeah. I, I would probably prefer the older buck. Um but uh, not necessarily. Um but uh I've seen some pretty cool looking one thirties that just have just a massive rack with short stubby tines or whatever that Yeah. Uh, I might even want to shoot more than a booner, you know, but to me, uh, you know, when I was younger, score was a big deal. Um, now just the off factor is more of it. Um, but a lot of times yeah. the rack is the off factor. I mean, a giant 190-inch buck, you can't hardly beat that. I don't, you know, at that point, I yeah. don't know if it's three-year-old or, or 10 years old. You yeah. Know, but, uh, I lean a little more towards age because I think, uh, I think uh, beating the animal that's that age, you know, right. um, five or older is, uh, is an accomplishment mm -hmm. but, uh, in the same, in the same sentence, I can say that uh, a five-year-old walks by me with no antlers. I'm not shooting it if he's shed. Right. But I still right. beat him. Right. The antlers have something to do with it. I think if that number was like 180 to 190, I'd change my opinion probably, but like probably the five-year-old if, if it, because I mean, you know, a 140 yeah. to 150, you know, a freaking 140 inch deer is a big freaking deer. You know, a lot of people. Um, 130 to 160 is a big difference, but. Yeah, sure. 135 to 155 isn't really even that much of a big difference. Uh, no. I, uh, how you put it on the head that it scores that. Yeah. But a 160 inch deer is a gigantic deer, but uh, so is a 140. I mean, that's a big deer. There's not, you know. A lot, of, a lot of folks shoot uh, uh, their, their 160s that are actually 140s. I mean, it's a big deer, you know, 140 is. Mm -hmm. um, but that's probably, I'd probably pick the, the five-year-old too if you, if you, if I had to choose, you know. Now, if like you were in the field and you made, you're trying to make a quick decision, like in a 160 came in, you know, chasing off a 130-inch buck, I'd shoot the 160, you know. I'd, I'd probably not um, good enough to, you know, in my mind, like decipher that, oh, that deer's a, two years older, you know, real quick. Um, I, I cut out a, a, a section of my barn wall one time and blew it up with um, three big bucks. And uh, um, one was a 180-inch 15-pointer, which is my biggest buck. One was a 140 class eight pointer, and uh, one was somewhere in between, like a 160 or something like that. I think it was a 160 class 11 pointer, and uh, those bucks all next to each other in the same wall, mounted, 
and uh, I did a poll on uh, if these three bucks came walking out and you only have one buck tag, which one would you shoot? Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I think the majority chose the eight pointer that was 140. Yeah. Because the frame looked yeah. bigger than the 180 class buck. It just looked like a bigger buck on the wall. Yeah. You know, um, all yeah, that can be is perception and de- de- deception. I mean, you know, a lot of people don't realize it, but you shoot a 140 inch 10 pointer, it don't look like much. You shoot a 140 inch eight pointer, it's gigantic. Yeah. You know, and um, I seen a 136 inch six point once. It was unreal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. You shoot that before <laughs> oh, uh, I was in, uh, I was up in Canada. I can't remember where I was on, maybe, maybe Ontario. Anyways, I was up there for work and I, they had a, there was a Cabela's across the road from my hotel and I'd go in there at night to kill time. And, uh, they had a 155 inch six pointer mounted in there. I mean, it was like the, I got a picture of it somewhere. I took a picture of it, but it was the biggest six pointer I've ever seen. 155 inches. I mean, it had a frame to be a, I mean, it looked like one of those, Mm-hmm. you know, a buck that could be a world record is the frame it looked on it, but it only had six point, you know, it only had three on each side of Broadtine and a G twos and that's it. And the main, in the main beam, but crazy. All right. Goomer 22 ask, um, it seems like in most of your out of state hunts, you guys decide to scout in the mornings and midday and hunt in the evenings when, or what situation will you hunt in the mornings? Um, when I got a good setup, I don't like uh, hunting spots that I've walked before and the deer smelt that I was in there. Um, if I know of a situation, if it's been pre-scouted, if I've been there before, I like hunting there in the morning. Um, I do think that if you hunt a spot in the evening, you don't see nothing and you thought it was a good spot and you scouted it that day and found it in the evening. Sometimes the morning can still be good because the deer that you're after hasn't been in there yet. Um, there's a good chance that he comes in the next day and, and then you're, you're sitting there. So sometimes sitting there the, the morning after you're there in the evening, but I'm not going into something blind based on a map that I've never been before in the morning. And I do have to have some sort of scouting time. So, uh, there's a direct correlation with, uh, the amount of success I have and the amount of time I spend scouting. So there has to be some sort of scouting in the equation. And of course there has to be hunting in the equation too, in order to put something on the wall. So, um, I have to, I have to give something up. And, uh, a lot of times if I hunt morning and evening on a hunt, um, I run out of scouting time because you, you, you grab something to eat or you go back to your truck and it's almost time to go back out, you know, um, unless you do a real quick morning hunt and then scout after you're done hunting, which is a little more feasible for me like the first hour of light or something and then jump down and start hitting it. How about you? Yeah. So I, I don't typically hunt, um, if I'm outside of the rut, like if I'm going on a place where I consider it the rut hunt, that's when I'll hunt moorings and I'll go in blind places. Like if, if I, let's say it's the first, first morning, mm-hmm. um, like I get there the evening, a night and going in the first morning, I'll go in blind and I'll actually sit until, um, depending on deer movement, you know, nine or 10 o'clock, then I'll get down. If, if I don't like where I'm at, then I'll get down and kind of start the, the cycle of scouting. Um, but in the rut, I feel like it's you probably need to, I, I think you need to be in a tree in the morning, at least for a couple hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you're in a good spot, like, I mean, there's, there's, uh, in the, during the rut, I mean, you could, you know, you kill one midday if you're in the right spot, you know, 
um, depending on what you're after. But that's a scenario I'd hunt. I'd hunt every morning is like when I was in Ohio, I hunted every morning. And then if I didn't like where I was at, I got down nine or 10 o'clock and scouted around until I found something different. I could do that, uh, but I, I have to have a spot. I think it, going mm-hmm. in your blind, I get too many spots where you, you just, you can't really find a tree that's got the cover or something in the dark. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you put a gray light, then I do a little better at it, but it just mm-hmm. seems like I yeah. just want to find something and get onto something, you know? Yep. Yep. No, I get that for sure. I, I don't think, I don't think any of my, um, I, I opening day of Wisconsin's bow season this year, I sat in the morning, but it was just because we were, we were going to shoot a doe if we saw one, mm-hmm. um, when I was hunting up by Gary. Yeah. Rut's the only Brad. time I care about hunting mornings. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, and he's specifically talking about out of state stuff. So I'm assuming he's talking about, you know, places that you don't, not real familiar with, but you've had some luck killing deer in the mornings, haven't you early? Yeah. And you can uh, kill some. A few, not, not many. Most of my deer were killed in the evenings. Um, yeah. I, I killed a really big eight pointer, um, a giant eight pointer, um, in the middle of a thunderstorm in the morning. Mm-hmm. Over scrape, right? Uh, that one, no. Um, oh. that one was, uh, I figured out where he was bedding and, and got him coming back to bedding a little further back from the bedding before mm-hmm. he went. There was a, um, uh, it was an oxbow situation and, uh, I hunted the outside of an oxbow and he was on the inside of an oxbow. And so he came through this outside around to go back to the inside where he was going to bed and, uh, there's a little funnel and, uh, I shot him there. Mm. That's so awesome. that was an early season um, morning hunt. I did kill you when I was younger. I killed a few deer um, early season in the mornings, but uh, it, it became pretty evident that I was doing more damage to the areas I hunted than I was doing good. However, um, when I was young, I was so gung ho and I had enough area to hunt. That as long as I, I didn't go burn up my good evening spots, I could hunt every morning and every evening, and I did. Um, probably when I was in my twenties, I would hunt every yeah. single day, every morning, every evening, even if it cost me jobs, but, right. um, but I always did better in the evenings Yeah. until what rut, I would always see good action in the mornings. Right. All right, everybody. I'm going to, um, some of the questions we've kind of went over in the past, so I won't, I probably won't touch on them. So if you don't get your question answered, you may just do a little YouTube search and you'll be able to find it. We've talked about some of this stuff you guys are asking about all right um md bow hunter 2008 any any suggestions on how to hunt public land that's loaded with mountain laurel uh, with slight hills 3,000 acres to hunt there are some pines scattered throughout the pockets well assuming your uh hunting season's over now i'd get out there and i'd find exactly where they live in that laurel so I'd probably look for uh, small little knobs and points that come off of the hill. I'd look for uh, little thick areas within that hill, within that laurel that's a little thicker than the rest. And by thick, I don't—I know everything's thick before you even say it. Where it's shaded, where they got some shade, um, where they can get out of the wind, a little pocket, um, little bowls that go into there, um, where the winds will swirl when they when they uh, when they hit the the pockets i'd look for areas like that and i would probably walk that top third elevation of those hills um 
right now quite a bit and learn those bedding areas. Um, that might look immense and like uh, you don't know where to go during hunting season. And I'd probably be in the same dilemma out there trying to struggle and try to figure out some point and, and hunt it. But uh, if you scout that in the spring and you learn it, and you learn where they live in the bed by looking at the beds now from last fall, you can hunt that pretty effectively. There you go. All right. Kenny Troyer asks, Dan, will you be scouting some new public land spots this year in your home state? And have you considered hunting some hill country in your home state this next season? Yes and yes. Um, I always plan on hunting some hill country. Um, I always do a little bit unless I tag out um, in western Wisconsin. Um, western Wisconsin is a lot better than the area I hunt by my house. I think by my house we have bigger bucks, but they're harder to hunt and harder to get on. Um, where western Wisconsin, you can read them in those hills real easy, and there's a lot more um, older class bucks to hunt. So western Wisconsin is a good destination for me. It's only um, one to two hours away. Yeah, um, the spots I hunt by my house are an hour away, so um, not a big deal. Um, I'm always scouting new spots. I'm always uh, I don't want to really scout old spots. I don't want to go look at the stuff I've already scouted. So I'm always looking for new stuff and new areas and new bucks. I get leads on deer and stuff. I you know I go uh, chase them down. Yeah, I'm always looking at new stuff. Matter of fact, I never get to all the stuff I've scouted. I found some really good spots last spring I never went to. Yeah. All right. Mark Abney asks, when you when do you guys get out after sheds, Indiana and Wisconsin? Dan, are you shed hunter? Not much of one. I find them when I'm scouting. Yeah. I pick up a bunch of them. Uh, I mean, in Indiana, it's... It's, you know, March is the best time to go find a bunch of sheds, but I'll, I'll start, you know, now until March. I mean, um, and it's usually in conjunction with, with, uh, uh, scouting, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I got all kinds of sheds or that's a quarter of what I have up there probably. Uh, we're, we got advantages here though, cause we don't get snow like you guys do. So, I mean, you guys can have snow until April, right? Covering everything up. Yeah. I mean, so. there's a lot of guys finding sheds right now. This, this people all looking. Yeah. Um, I think uh, February is the big month around here, around, you know, mid-February. They just start dropping like crazy. And there'll be people going up and down the trails over and over again. It's going to yeah. be quite past time. We get a lot of trespassers during shed season. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, and on the subject of trespassers, I was over at Dave's farm, and that guy was walking all over the place again after getting a trespassing warning. Really? Yeah. Just snow. I mean, he walks from his house in the snow back out onto the farm again. I'm like, what an idiot. Gosh. <laughs> did it did it do anything to it? I mean, did they just I didn't do nothing. I just Yeah. Uh, I followed his tracks up to his door so he'd see that see I walked up him. Yeah. Let it be. He didn't go way in the back. He just went to where I put the trespassing signs up, but he was onto the property by about a hundred yards. Okay, a couple people were asking about um, if there's going to be a smaller version of the B stand in the near future. 
I got something in the works. You're just gonna have to be patient. I can't talk too much about it, or uh, the same people that copied me last time will copy me again. Yeah, I saw some some other copies this season that came out again. Yeah, everybody's copying us. Good thing is they're doing a bad job. They need to get some good engineers. Back, yeah, Backwood Backwood Inc. Backwoods Inc. says, "Hey Josh, ask Dan." Uh, what is his favorite style of turkey call? Does he use box calls, pot calls, mouth calls? And what style of calls do you use, Josh? Hmm. <laughs> I don't know what you're asking. Turkey call is it? Come here, turkey. Come here, turkey. Uh-huh. I use a box call, um, mainly because uh, I've never been able to use a mouth call. I can't figure things out, and uh, oh, really? box call just works okay for me and. And it's nice and loud, and mm-hmm. I'm more of a running gunner. I'm not really trying to tweak and like little tiny clucks and stuff. I just make a loud uh, uh, series of what a hen does when she's horny, and uh, if I get responses, I get responses. You know, I don't sit too much. I go, I go out after them. It's, I probably don't have the most effective style of turkey hunting. I just like it that way. I like chasing them things down. It's the fun part of turkey hunting is the run and gun, go after them kind of thing for me. Yep. Um, Usually if they're in the mood, it doesn't matter. You can drop your box call. They'll come running. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I have a glass call. I really like that's uh it's paid by, um, <clears throat> Golly, I can't remember who makes it now. It's the guys the hunting public uses, but um, New, New Haven or something like that. I don't know. Don't quote me on that. But it's a glass call. I love that thing. Mostly because the only reason I love it, I think, is because I called in uh, I called in a turkey with it and shot, shot it with a longbow. And I just in my mind, I'm like, this is it. This is the call, you know. When in reality, it may not be. But it just, that's what, in my head, that's what works. So, uh, you know, box calls. I mean, you can get some that are just junk. Oh, yeah. or whatever you can really get some crappy ones yeah uh, hs strut has worked well for me but even them i like it when they're out and you can test them i'd rather buy used ones at a rummage sale or something than buy one from the store that's in a package that i can't test i like to hear the tone of it yeah yeah and i think a lot of those companies the quality isn't what it used to be either like it like right. used to be back in the day um, I do think uh, turkey call is one of those things where you kind of get what you pay for on them. I mean, some of them are expensive, but man, some of those, if you can spend a little bit more money on one, I think you'd be, you know, happier with it um, for the most part. Um, but I don't know, because I've, I've bought some cheaper glass calls and they, none of them sound as good as that mm-hmm. new hate that, gosh, I hope that's the right, I can't remember the name of it. You guys know what I'm talking about. It's always on the Hunt and Publix channel, but it's like 80 bucks for the call or something like that. It's expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, I broke one last year too. It somehow it cracked in my vest. Um, all right. In the woods asked Josh, I know Dan's thoughts already. I'm 57 years old, thinking of hunting public next year, trying to decide between hang on climber or possibly the, a new seat type saddle. Give me your opinion. Um, I mean, my opinion is I use a, I use a, the B stand. That's what I use. Um, I would go ahead and just bite the bullet and get the B stand and sticks. And especially not saying you're old. Cause I think Dan's about the same age as you, but it's like the, the ease of use for hanging that thing is just unbelievable. I think that's the, 
the main difference in in getting the beast stand versus something you know else that's twice or three times heavier is it's so easy to hang and as you get older you know i'm sure that stuff doesn't get easier but hmm. and, and all that other stuff like um it also has a lot less of a learning curve in my opinion the the hang-ons even even versus the um the climber for the most part uh it's a lot more versatile uh anyway would you agree dan yeah pretty much um i was just thinking when you were saying that um i know that on uh, a few occasions you'll take out a, a saddle what, what are the reasons that bring you onto a saddle um i it'll have to be like i had to use it in a very specific location like um a lot of times in the like field edges if you notice like trees will grow towards the field and they'll have like a severe mm-hmm. lean and the saddle's really comfortable if you sit on this side uh of the lean yep it just whereas a tree stand is super hard to like when they're leaning that severe you know you can't really put a stand on this side because it's leaning too far forward and on the I, back I, side it's hard to I get you i'm just like you do with the saddle yeah I sit on the seat right three and then when i right. stand i just stand right there and shoot on one side or the other yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but it's, and then, I guess that situation working better with your saddle. Yep. And then uh, maybe like, oh, I don't know. If you're if you're someplace where, you know, the if you can get, get up in a tree that's uh, like in hill country, if there's a certain way you have to sit where you can hide behind the tree or, um, or you, you know, with, with on the, on a lock on where you'd be like, you can't get in front of the tree. You'd be silhouetted. That'd be a scenario I'd use it. But um, those are really the only two options. I mean, I used the saddle a lot before the B stand came out, um, and I always just found it a little bit inconvenient in certain trees that I wanted to get in because of the um, the amount of more space you have to have in a tree to shoot out of a saddle and stuff, and to you know you got more ropes and and whatnot. Uh, so you have to have more room. To, to put a saddle in a, in a tree, in my opinion, and to shoot out of it. But like, you can't, like, for example, a big, those pine trees out there in Illinois, we were hunting. There's no way you could get a saddle in one of those trees and, and shoot out of it effectively, in my opinion. Whereas yeah, a bee stand, you could, you, yeah, you cedar trees. Yeah. You could just, uh, you could just kind of wedge it into one of the, you know, between the two limbs or something and you're golden. You can shoot out uh, of it. Whereas with the saddle, you know, your back would be to the, to the deer and then you'd have to shoot, you know, like this, which you can do it. It's just, it's just a pain, you know? Um, so that's why I, I like my, my lock on or my, my hang on better. All right. And I get that. I get, I know, cause we'll get comments like, I know you can, you can do it. It's just, uh, in me, it's, to me, it's easier with a, um, hang on, Stan. Okay. Kylie Pe- Pegg. I think Kylie Pegg is actually his, uh, his wife's account or something. Cause I think I know this guy. I think I, I think I, uh, used to live in the same town he did back in the day. But anyway, he said, he texted me the other day or, or messaged me on Facebook, said we, we coon hunted together a couple of times when we were younger. So, uh, I think, I think I knew his brother pretty well. Okay. Anyway, if you jump a mature buck, how long before that buck will use that bed again? I'm always afraid of doing more harm than good right before season scouting. Thank you. 
Hmm. So that's that's a um, that's a wide open question because uh, I've seen it where you jump them, you stand there, and fifteen minutes later they come sneaking back, mm-hmm. and I've seen it where you jump them and the next morning they come right back, and I've seen it where you jump them and they never ever 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 come back. So, um, there's a couple of different ways you spook a buck. I mean, there's a a soft bump which is, uh, you know, they heard something, they, they know something's not right. They're going to get up and move because they're a little spooked, but they don't know what's going on. And there is the, they seen you, they smelled you, they heard you, they looked you in the eyes, kind of running out of their 90 miles an hour, bowling over trees, blowing spook, you know, and there's everything in between, right? So there's a hard bump and a soft bump. I think you hard bump a buck, he's a lot less likely to come back ever to that mm. same spot. I think if you soft bump a buck, um, he might be right back. He might not be back that season. It's always a guess. Um, but uh, they do come back enough that it's worth hunting. You know, uh, it sounds like from the question that you're saying that uh, um, you're scouting right before season, which um, I probably wouldn't really recommend scouting in bedding areas right before season bumping bucks. I would recommend that that type of scouting is you're sneaking around, finding where bucks live and hunting them the next day. Or I mean that day, same day you snuck through there. Um, or you're watching them from a distance scouting um, or you're putting cameras on food source and then figuring out where they're at. But I wouldn't exactly uh, go bumping them out of bed during season and then, then, then hunt there personally. Um, What's your thoughts on it, Josh? I can recall a time, it's been four or five years ago, I was in hunting hill country and I bumped a buck off of a ridge and I ended up setting up on that ridge and uh, got up in my stand and I glassed down into the bottom and he was just standing there in the bottom just like nothing ever happened, you know. Uh, and he ended up making his way back to me he, just out of range. He was about 40 yards through the, the woods. Um, so that buck, you know, I put pressure on him and he didn't care, but I'm sure there's been more times than not where, you know, I don't, you know, I bump them and I never see them again or they go to the next County. So it just, I mean, pretty much exactly what you, you said. Um, if you're, if you're sneaking around, if you're doing preseason scouting, like Dan said, maybe you can do some like less intrusive scouting as I, what I would do to try not to, to bump that, those bucks. Um, I think a lot of it might be, um, situational um on what they've learned or, or through their lifetime too yeah um, you might have a buck that got bumped came back and got an arrow through through its uh, uh back straps and you might have a buck that um he's had people walk through pheasant hunting he walks in a circle watches them leave comes back and he's watching them leave as he's walking back in the bed and he does that over and over and over again and he's used to that so it can be situational on and they're just like people if you think about it you know i mean if uh you, you know um you got into a street fight one day and and you got beat so bad you ended up in the hospital for three weeks you get out i don't think you're gonna go jump in another street fight too quick but yeah. if you won the street fight you might be feeling a little cocky and you might go out and get in another one you know so i kind of look at it as like you don't know you don't know where that deer is what's in his mind and what he's thinking you can only relate it to how he was bumped, kind of, 
and uh, how he reacts. And each deer is an individual. So like in Josh's case, he saw how that buck reacted. If he ran into that buck again, or if he was still hunting that buck, he could expect it to react kind of similar again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have a story where you bumped like a bump like three times or bucked three times, didn't you? Or something like that. It kept, it kept just being, being there. And every time you'd come back, you'd be like, it's probably ain't going to be here. And then you'd be like, gosh, dang it. There he was right, again. I finally hunted there. He finally didn't show back up, but I had yeah. to, I had to walk through that, that, this area in order to get to this whole vast area. And, and cause there's a way I had to cross a Creek. So I go in there and I jumped this buck and I'm like, holy crap, he was bedded right here. So then the next day I come through there and, you know, I thought it was a fluke. Next day I come through there, the same buck jumps out of the same spot. And I'm like, oh, if I would have just sat there. Then I come back through the next day and he jumps up again. And I'm like, now I'm an idiot. You know, so then the yeah. fourth day I was sitting there in the morning. He never came back. Right. All right. Steven Mueller asks, what kind of cameras do you guys use, you gents use to self-film hunts? Hmm. I can show you mine. I got it right here. This is, I use a, it's a full frame Sony DSLR. I don't use this lens, but um, I got a couple other ones too. I got a smaller one for just if I want to be lighter, but that thing's pretty small and, and light. Um, I got your old Yeah. Dan has a Sony AX100 that I used to have. <laughs> Then I got uh, that that Canon, and I'm still using yep. the Canon because I have figured out your Sony. I, I didn't just have enough yeah. time to really get into it. Right. But uh, Canon has seen better days. It's a, it's a nice camera. It's an expensive camera, but it's been dropped a couple dozen times. There's things rattling around inside of it. Yeah. If you're just starting, I would not suggest getting something like this. I mean, this is super expensive and a little bit complicated to use. But like a handy like a handy cam or a camcorder like Dan has is a good one. Uh, I think that the AX, it's the AX, uh, they have a 100 and a 700. They're pretty much the same thing. Just a, um, the sensor size is important. Like Dan's camera is a one inch sensor. So you can, it, it collects light well. Um, so you can film up until legal light is over, is, is up, you know, some of the cheaper ones, you almost lose, you almost lose, uh, daylight before you can, uh, you know, legally stop hunting. So, um, a lot of times you'll see some videos, like especially old video of like, if it, if it looks really dark when we shot a deer, it really wasn't. The cameras just don't perform well in that type of lighting. Wouldn't you agree, Dan? Yeah. Now this thing here, you can, this, this camera, you can film up to, that's what's so nice about it, but it's, you gotta, you gotta pay for that kind of stuff. Uh, there's like a million options anymore on the market for cameras to, to film hunts. And I, I, uh, tinker with that stuff more than dan does obviously yeah i gotta get tell. stuff but i'm just more into the hunt than i am the, the filming and stuff but I, I really need to get more some gopros and stuff and yeah i think a gopro like if you guys watch like my videos like all my almost all my like vlogs type stuff where i'm scouting is filmed with a gopro and i think that'd be good for you dan because it's they're wide angle and they they have really good stabilization in them um and they're durable <laughs> That's not saying you, yeah, not saying you uh, need something durable, but. If they can take a uh, Duncan or two, that'd be good. I fry a lot yeah. of them in swamps. Yeah, they're waterproof. 
Yeah, the 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 Canon was an eleven hundred dollar camera, new. Yeah, Canon, but uh, I bought it used, so I paid like six hundred or seven hundred or something like that. Right. But, uh, yeah, um, it's there's. It has its good days and bad days. Sometimes it won't focus right, and you know, things been dunked underwater completely. Had to be taken apart and dried out, and then get it working again. And yeah, it's like I got to buy one every year. Oh, it's hard on camera gear. I just sent, I had two broken ones here and I just, uh, I sent them off to some company to fix them. Cause I'm like, they actually quoted me a pretty decent price to get both of them fixed. And I was like, Oh, that'd be worth fixing them. Uh, just to have an extra one. Cause I don't really have right now. I don't have an extra one, but I will after these come back. Um, all right. What's your funniest hunting story, Dan? Funniest funny story. Uh, <laughs> when I was uh, uh, a little kid, my uh, my brother was going to take me gun deer hunting, and I was all gung ho to go. And uh, my dad told me I couldn't go, and we had been planning this. My brother even bought me some orange stuff, and and uh, I was really ticked off. My dad was a wise man. My brother was a drunk, and I was too young to really know that. Yeah. But my dad was pretty smart. And uh, because I was moping around, he bought me a um, red fiberglass bow. Um, one of those bear bows. I think uh, a lot of kids had those back in the day. And uh, I actually uh, was able to get a couple of uh, deer hunting arrows. I can't believe it. Uh, because I was a real little kid, that the guy sold them to me at the store, but he did. He had a bucket full of wooden arrows and broadheads on them. And uh, I bought one of the arrows, and I went out to go deer hunting, and I uh, was out stalking deer with my dog, Buford. That was my favorite dog, Buford. And uh, I was out in the back um, behind a yard through some fields, and uh, I come into this um, heavy grass grassy area and there's like these trails going through and I was pushing through this trail and I come into this little open spot and I look up and there's this buck standing there looking at me and he had broken off antlers on the top of his head and he's probably about five paces from me just standing there staring at me and as a little kid and uh, I mean I was really little staring at this deer face to face I stopped thinking about being a hunter and I can't decide whether I'm supposed to shoot this thing or make it a pet. Cause it's just standing there, you know, right. I'm just kind of sitting there contemplating like what's going on in shock. And it's probably a fraction of a second, but it seems like forever. Right. And all of a sudden that thing just lowers its head and just charged forward and rammed right into me, um, <laughs> caught me in the guts and I went flying through the air, landed on the ground and got up and I started crying and uh, the antlers ripped my, my jacket open. And uh, I started walking home and uh, crying. And uh, my dad and mom came running out to uh, to get me because uh, uh, a neighbor um, across the creek from us was watching out on our porch, saw me out there with the bull, was wondering what I was doing, was watching me, saw the whole thing happen. And she thought some big dog attacked me. She couldn't tell it was a deer from that distance. She said, then the dog ran away or something, you know, but, uh, um, my dad, uh, um, 
frequented a tavern in Lannan and uh, he went down to the tavern that night and he uh, may have had a few too many and he was mm-hmm. uh, telling a story. One of the guys in the tavern was a writer for the local newspaper and he wrote the article and uh, the article was all full of stuff that wasn't true. <laughs> he, he said there was footprints on my jacket. Well, that was where the antlers tore the jacket and stuff. And he had my yeah. Age wrong and you know, but, but it was, it was <laughs> that's crazy. And you've had a vengeance, vengeance on deer ever since. Oh yeah. Yeah. I went on a killing spree after that. I got a funny story about when I was a kid. I, uh, uh, it's embarrassing. I don't care. I was like probably 10 or 11 years old. Uh, me and my dad and my grandpa were hunting. My grandpa had this little bitty Nissan pickup. It was like one of those extended cabs, but you had to sit sideways in the back, you know, you remember those trucks, right? Yep. Um, and, uh, they always set me in this particular spot that was kind of close to the truck. And my dad and my grandpa were off somewhere, you know, wherever they would go. And we were, it was, gun season and we were out there in the morning and I got sitting up there and I, I got my climber and, uh, Oh, I don't know. I sat there for an hour and dude, I had to take a dump so bad. And, uh, this is like when you're a little kid, you know, you're just stupid. You're like, what the heck could I do? You know? And, uh, I climbed down, I got down and I had coveralls on, you know, I took them down and I freaking took a dump right in the back of my coveralls, like all over them. You know, I didn't, wasn't conscious enough to move them out of the way. Anyway, so then I'm like, oh, what am I going to do? You know, so I just took them all the way off and I had long underwear on and I went and, uh, um, you know, put them in the truck and I just sat in the truck and waited for my, <laughs> waited for my grandpa and my, my dad to get back. And, uh, I think it was my dad. It was either my dad or my uncle. But anyway, I, uh, I, they got back to the truck like a long time later, you know, and they're like, oh, what are you doing back to the truck? I'm like, oh, I just got, got down a little early and got, came back. And, and he's like, oh, why do you got your cover? You know, where's your coveralls at? And I was like, oh, I just got hot or whatever. I made up some story, you know. And then uh, we got driving down the road. And my grandpa, he was like, man, it smells in here. And I, and I like started crying. I'm like, I pooped in my pants. I pooped in my, in my. <laughs> and they just thought it was hilarious. You know, they weren't mad. I thought they were going to be mad at me for pooping all in my, uh my bibs, but I don't know. We got, I've got a bunch of stories about coyote hunting with dogs that, I mean, I've had, I had a gun pulled on me once doing that and that's not real funny, but, uh, there's, there's better stories with that stuff. Like you said, Dan, dog hunting gets a little bit Western. Sometimes they just seem to get into more crap doing that kind of stuff than, um, the deer hunting for sure. Okay. How much scouting time do you think you put in in a season? Have you ever kept track of that track of that, Dan? No, that's a lot. And yeah, it, it would be pretty hard to track. Um, you'd almost have to have a graph of different kinds of scouting. Um, scouting can be done on my way to work, and how mm-hmm. I drive my car to work. You know, it could be done. Uh, by looking at some maps while I'm at work, it can be done on foot. It can be done from a car window. It can be, you know, it can be done while you're hunting. Scouting is kind of a relative term. Anytime you're trying to figure something out for deer, you're scouting, right? As far as on foot scouting, which he may be referring to just that, um, which is just a fraction of my scouting. Uh, 
in the off season, not enough, but probably way more than anybody else. I don't know. I, um, probably between January, February, and March, I'll probably scout uh, four days a week, probably uh, four hours, three days, and 10 hours one day. And I'll, you know, and then uh, during the summer, I'll scout from a truck, glassing. I'll even walk some stuff during the summer that uh, can either walk it then or not walk it. So I'll walk it during the summer. And uh, yeah, I, I scout all the time. So on a weekly basis, I'm scouting every week, probably. In the off season, probably 10, 12 hours every week, all year. And uh, during season, I'm scouting on most of my hunts a little bit, at least. Um, but I scout less. Yeah. I've been trying to keep track of my miles this year just to see how many I, I walk. Um, nothing that equate equates to anything, you know, it's just something to keep track of, I guess, but I'm sure I'm horrible at keeping track of stuff like that. So I'll probably forget one time and then end up not keeping track of it. But I'm kind of like you, I go, I go out at least, uh, maybe four, four days a week. And it may be, it may be just for a couple hours or it may be all day. I mean, um, anytime I can get out there and scout, I'm, I'm doing it right now, especially right now. For me, you can see a distinct improvement in my hunting in the fall. If I've scouted well in the spring, Mm -hmm. I'm getting onto animals in those new spots. I find Mm -hmm. so, um, it's very important. It's important to find lots of good, unique spots that um, are holding animals and make good accurate guesses onto what time frame you need to be there and have yep. good setups and pre-planned. There's nothing beats having been to a spot, figured it out and then left it alone and never went back and go in there for that first hunt and hit it right. There's nothing beats that. I mean, that's been what's killed a lot of my biggest bucks. Yeah. So that scouting time is uh, real crucial. Yeah. You really got to, I mean, I think of deer hunting as like, you know, it's a, it's a test that's coming this fall and you got to prepare for that test, you know, and the more you prepare for it and the better your knowledge base is about your areas you're hunting, the better you're going to do during your test of deer season, you know, um, the better you're going to be at, uh, overcoming obstacles during deer season too, you know, so. Okay. Someone, I can't find the question, but I saw it. Uh, we'll answer a few more here. Um, someone asked us our opinion on antler point restrictions. Uh, it's got, it's good and it's bad. Yeah. Um, So for, for for me, um, they, it depends on where you're at and how the, how they're set up. But, um, you know, a lot of places they have like a four point rule. And a lot of those places that have four point rules end up with a lot of six pointers, you know, you know, four points on one side. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't like it if it stops you from being able to shoot some massive six pointer or, you know, or something like that. But, uh, chances are that's a pretty rare occurrence anyways. Um, yeah. for the most part, if it lets some deer mature, it's a good thing in my opinion. So mm-hmm. I would say. Um, it's probably better than not having one. 
So I, I think it helps. I think limiting how many deer somebody shoots is better. Yeah. Like instead of having uh, an APR on antlers, I think uh, um, telling a guy you can shoot one buck is probably better. And uh, the reason for that is people always settle and shoot one small one and then they hold out for a big one or, you know. Yeah. Um, and then they start shooting a for a friend or something because when you get two tags you buy your wife a tag or your neighbor a tag or something you can shoot two more bucks you know and then that, that you know kind of encourages poaching but if, when it's one buck nobody really wants to give their buck tag to somebody else you know and and right. i think you you hold out for something a little better you shoot a doe for meat or something so i think the one buck rule is better um so i personally think i also think that uh I really, my greed to shoot a big buck, I don't think is worth taking some little old man who shoots a, a buck for meat and is proud of that every year and telling him he can't right. shoot that buck, he has to wait for a big one, or telling some kid he can't shoot the first buck that walks by, he has to wait for a certain animal. I think, uh, I think I'd rather just see one buck. Yeah. The kid would be happy, the old man would be happy, and I'd be happy. Yeah. That's where I, I'm at with it. I just, I don't, not a big fan of, anybody telling you what you can shoot, you know? Um, I mean, it's fine. Like you said, if you can, if you restrict the amount of deer you can shoot, that's just management, you know? Um, but I don't know. Yeah, look I don't at know how like, I feel about it. Like too. I, mean, I mean, look at, look at what they do over here with the, uh, the doe hunt. We get a ton of small bucks that get accidentally shot during a doe hunt and they're just left mm -hmm. to die, left to rot out there. Because if they, if they turn themselves in, they're going to get a, they're going to get a big ticket. They're going to get in trouble. Right. So they end up leaving the deer out there every, every year after that doe season, I find dead bucks laying around. So, I mean, you're going to get guys that make mistakes and then what happens? I mean, I'd be more of a fan of if you've made a mistake, it was a $50 fine, you know, and not, not when it goes permanently on your record, you just, it's like, okay, right. my bad, here's my 50 bucks. It's kind of like the, the mm -hmm. swear jar, right? Rather yeah. than the way they do things because it's, I don't know. I just, yeah, I don't. I do, you, you know what I do kind of like about a, a, an antler restriction is that you do have to, to, um, you have to know what you're shooting at. Yeah. Um, I don't like the safety factor of a guy like in my home state now has a tag for anything, anything that moves. Mm -hmm. you, yeah. You know, kind of makes you a little like, uh, you know, well, I think that's yeah. a deer. If you have to know if it has antlers and how many points it has, I think that's a little safer. <clears throat> yeah. Um, but I mean, it's got, it's, I don't want to say it's bad and I don't want to say it's good. I just think I, I'm, I'm not a huge fan, but I'm not really against it either. Right. Yeah. That's how I, I mean, uh, I've hunted numerous places now that have antler point restrictions. And I don't ever like, and it really bothers me, you know, as long as you're, you know, it doesn't about change it. when I'm shooting most likely. Right. I mean, right. the only thing is, is that I would probably shoot. You know, if I saw a five-year-old spike with uh, 12 inch spikes, I'd probably shoot it or you know, right, something crazy or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That'd but cool. like you said, that's the the odds of that happening are not very good. I can think of a few times in my life though when I ran into things like that. Yeah, I can remember a giant four-pointer I saw, fork probably yeah. a, probably an ancient old buck, like 20 inches wide, mm -hmm. like five-inch like Coke can bases. Yeah but he just had a big fork on both sides, no bro times or anything. Hmm. And uh, I'd love to have that thing on my wall. Yeah. 
All right. <clears throat> Josh Banks asks, Josh, what is your most useful tip of knowledge you have got since you started hunting with Dan? Dan probably taught me the most, like when I hunted with him is like to slow down and think about things a little more. <laughs> um, Dan's really like, if you ever hunt with Dan, he's very good at like finding sign and then like putting the puzzle pieces together real quick of where it's coming from and where they're bedding at. And, um, that's what I learned most from hunting with you, Dan. It's just like how, how much you think about things before you make your next move. That's what I mean. That helps helped me a lot. It helped me does a lot in Ohio. Does that ever drive you nuts too? Uh, channelization. Sometimes. Yeah, it kind of does. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes like, uh, I could probably give you specific examples. Uh, Cause I'm not saying you're wrong. It's just, it was just not, and not, it's, you know, it's not how I would have done it. Like, like the, like in Michigan, when we were, uh, scouting like tracks, uh, on the road and stuff, I just, I was like, man, I want to go somewhere deep, you know, or something different. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but I also learned a lot. Like I, you know, watching you like backtrack things. I mean, I still learned stuff, uh, but yeah, no, that, I mean, it's not a bad thing. All right. Let's see. How long have we been on here? Almost an hour and a half. Let's get to a couple more. Everybody that's given me like a sticker and those those uh, little donations, I appreciate it, guys. That really helps a lot. Um, it's nice to see that on the on the algorithm. Um, oh, a couple of guys were asking about uh, if there's going to be a hill country workshop. Dan, I saw those that question. Uh, there, a few there times. Maybe I gotta I gotta call Eric Hoosman and see if we can arrange one. Um, he knows I'm going to be calling him. I just haven't done it. Um, I've just been so busy. I, I kind of want to wrap this stuff up first, and I, I want to get our um, want to get some stuff together for you for the seminars because it's uh, driving me nuts that those are coming up quick too. Oh man, yeah. Um, we're just so it's like it's almost like where are we going to fit that in? You know, that's kind of where I was at with it. I was like, man, we got a lot going on the next couple months. Yeah. Um. Let's see here. Oh, uh, did you ever, another question that's gotten asked a couple of times, did you ever do anything with your trail cam study, Dan? I know you had some issues there for a while with, with cameras yeah, and stuff. We got one video I got to get back to and, and get done um, that had a lot of really good information in it. Um, but it's kind of like three quarters done and I got, I got to get to it. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'd, I'd I'd like to do some stuff. I haven't done it yet. I've saved the cards. Um, there was one spot that was really interesting that uh, I'd I'd like to uh, do a video on. Um, just got to get to it. Yep. Uh, Mister D asks Dan, do you keep notes or just retain all the scouting intel in your head? Uh, I used to keep detailed notes and I did a lot better when I did um, because you'd be surprised when you go through your notes, the stuff that you've forgotten since you looked at a spot or, you know, or the precise dates when you saw stuff there, or, you, you know what I mean? Cause those dates revolve back to the same time frames and years and future years. Mm -hmm. um, so the notes really help, but no, I don't do it now. I just got so much stuff going on. I, I don't keep up with it, but a journal, is a really good thing to have. 
Uh, yeah. When I did do it, it helped me immensely. It also helped me keep track of, uh, of spots because you'd forget about places and then you go hunt someplace and you, you know, over and over again and you'd be like, I didn't get nothing else. And you think, oh my gosh, I never hunted that one spot where, you know, this was going on. You know, when you get so many things going on, you kind of forget about things. So a journal can kind of keep you more organized, um, keep you straight on dates, keep you straight on info, on exact wins you need, everything you need. Um, journals can be uh, a huge advantage. Yeah. Whenever you take a, whenever you used to take a, or use a journal, did you write down like as you were scouting or did you do it like when you go back to the truck or home or how did you usually log things? Oh, I usually do it when I get home. Okay. Not to mention, uh, I did, uh, I did try a couple times doing journals in the field. And what would happen is, uh, you'd write something down and a little while later you realize you're wrong or you're, you want to alter that or something. Then you scribble on something out and redoing it. When you get home, you get all your facts together, which, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. The only good thing about doing it in the field is I, I would do it in a way where I'm asking questions. So you, you wouldn't get back to the home and you'd say, Oh, I, I can't feel that. And I don't remember, but you'd yeah. be looking at how the wind goes, you know, what do you need for winds? What do you, you know, how high is the stand going to be? How many sticks or whatever, blah, blah, blah. I always take the same number of sticks anyways, but it's a good yeah. thing. You know, sometimes you don't want to hunt too high and stuff. You'd want to have note in there that you, if you get to a certain height, your deer is going to see her or something, you know, or, um, and that might sound like stuff that you remember pretty easily, but you gotta remember I'm looking at hundreds of spots. Yeah. Yeah. You think you remember it, <laughs> then you won't, you know, and then there's spots where I'll go in and I'll scout that with every intention of hunting her. And I don't hunt her again for five years. I mm. come back when I'm going to hunt that area. I look through my notes and say, okay, here, here, here. And the reason I'm back is because now all of a sudden a big buck showed up there. I heard about one. I saw one shining. Um, I threw a camera up one day and saw some, or I went back there and there's some huge rubs, you know, because when I start out a season, if I'm not on a, a lot of deer, I'll go through an area. I'll go hunt a spot just randomly. Uh, here's a good spot that I was at a few years back. I'll go back there and I'll hunt it. And I'll scout my way back in and I'll check the forest out. And if I don't see much sign, I ain't coming back. And I'll keep hopping around until I start hitting spots that got sign, and then I'll start hunting that spot down a little more. You know what I mean? So I'm just kind of randomly searching for bucks. And as I find those bucks, I start narrowing my searches down. Yeah. So then you might find one in a spot where you haven't been in years. And those notes, you'll you'll forget things in a few years or a couple of years or even a year. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Some people are saying like all your, about all your mapping softwares have like a note section now. And that's, that's a good thing too. Just when mm -hmm. you drop a pin, take your notes in the note section. And then when you get to that property, you can, you know, open them notes up. Uh, anyways, uh, let's see here. Someone was asking if we ever shoot turkey in the fall while we're deer hunting. I never have shot one in the fall. I always got a permit in my pocket. And if one comes by, I'll shoot it if, if it ain't going to cost me a buck. But uh, generally... Um, that don't work out so well because they got such good eye eyesight. Oh man, um, I've shot two during the fall and I haven't got either one. I mean, when you hit them with an arrow, um, if you don't break that wing butt, man, they fly away with your arrow and you know you killed them. I shot one at Dave's Dave's farm, and uh, I shot right through that thing and the arrow stopped on the ground because it was frozen. Yeah, and it flew through the trees with that arrow sticking out of both sides of it, hitting the sides of the trees, went way up into the air 
way over to swamp that's private on somebody else's land and fell out of the sky and landed in the, uh, in the marsh. Never found it. Oh, that's funny. My uh, turkey I shot with my longbow, it did the same thing. It, uh, I shot it and it took off flying. I'm like, ah, crap, you know. And I'm not kidding you, Dan. It was like a gore scene. Like when he was flapping his wings, there was just blood. And I could, I like blood trailed the thing. Um, I don't know what I hit, but I hit something important. And he just like was flying. He just was like, oh, and he folded it up and then whoo, landed on the ground. It was, it was, it had been cool to have on video, but um, I didn't. But uh, that's the only one I've ever shot with a bow. Okay. Mike, thanks for the donation here. I'm going to read your question, see if I can. Uh, personal ground scent and rub scrapes, tracks, etc. during hunts. Um, you guys don't seem to worry about getting right in there and leaving behind odor. Yeah, I don't hunt the same spot too many times. Yeah. Once you walk there, I feel like if you walk by a rub or you walk by a scrape, your scent's there. They know you're there. I don't think if you touch it or anything, it's going to make a difference. They still yeah. know you're there. They know you're there just as much as if you didn't touch it. Right. And um, it's not like I walk over and fondle rubs uh, while I'm hunting um, or go out of my way to do that. You're usually seeing that footage when I'm scouting or I'm looking at something or I'm looking my way in uh, where I walk, walk right by it. Um, but I'm going to hunt that spot the night that I find it. And if that buck comes in, he's going to die before he smells that rub. Right, right. Yeah, we do get a lot of comments on that about like us touching rubs and. Well, I think most people hunt the same spots over and over again. I don't. I don't do that. I, yeah. yeah. Kill big bucks doing that, so I don't do it. I mean, you can kill deer doing that, but I don't. My biggest bucks always come from the first first sits. They come from the first sit of the year, or the first sit ever, or a new spot, or an aggressive move because I saw them someplace. They rarely come from a spot that you rotate through. So if you go in there and you hunt it, it's done in my, in my right. opinion, most, most right. of the time. So you got to right. at least adjust from that because he knows you were there. So whether he knows you were two feet from the rubber, he knows you're at the rub head. makes no difference in, in, in my eyes. And it's made no yeah. difference in my success. That's for sure. Right. Josh, Dan, you think your friend Gary can find sheds better? Gary's in a constant competition with me with everything essentially, but he's always trying to find more sheds than me and he never does. So no Gary. Josh finds not even me. not even close though. That's what I'm like. Don't even compete with me, Gary. You guys, you're at such a disadvantage. I went uh uh out scouting with a guy named John Gillis once. He used to make me shirts. Yeah. And we went to this property that was full of these big bucks and uh we're going to keep our eye out for sheds while we're scouting and uh, we're walking around pretty soon. I find one a little while later, I find another one. I find another one. He's not finding anything. He's looking around and, and uh, uh, at one point we're walking on this trail and I got this whole arm full of sheds. You know, like, <laughs> we're a lot younger. Right. And I look down and I see this massive shed and he's about to step on it. And he looks down at it and walks around it. And I, I just like, what the heck? So I go, hey, you missed one. And I reached, he goes, I thought it was a stick. And it was a uh, massive, it's still one of the biggest ones I ever found. Yeah. And then we get back to the truck and uh, I'm putting all the sheds in there. And uh, <laughs> he goes, I can't believe the eyes you have for fine sheds. And I'm like, they're glowing white in a brown woods. I mean, but he goes, I can't believe you could see them like that. I just couldn't see them or anything. 
And he's talking to me and he, he's long winded and he keeps talking. I kind of looked down. I couldn't believe it. He was standing on a shed. No way. It was, like, you know, it was an old one, like two or three years old. that was all chewed up and brown. Yeah. You, you don't know where to get like that cracking in them. Yeah. And I just looked at him. I said, I hate to do this to you, John, <laughs> but you're standing on a shed. Could I pick that up, please? <laughs> Some people got oh, nice. Yeah, no, um, yeah. No, yeah, I, I, I got the little ones. I just, if they're big, I pick them up. Yeah. Um, I, I just, I've done, I guess you, you, you find, you start finding them and you find more and you find more and all of a sudden you just, you're good at get good at finding them just like anything else. Yeah, you're, you're, um, you got a knack for it. Every time we go someplace, you we would walk and you'd be like, deadhead. You'd be like, what are you talking yeah, about? Yeah. 200 yards up there on a second ridge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I found, I found them. I find them in the dark walking out and stuff. I don't know why. I just, I do. I, I just look for them too. You know, a lot of people don't look for them. Um, all right. I don't think this guy has a question, but thanks, man. Potato. Last podcast, you were guys talking about hunting less than a desirable public. Come on over to East MD. I'll fly you. There you go, Dan. We got a free plane ticket. Me and Dan looked up uh, prices to get to Finland to hunt whitetails. That was a sticker shock to us. Yeah. <laughs> it's like two grand yeah, to fly over there. <laughs> Doesn't Maryland also have those uh, sick of deer, or is, am I thinking the wrong state? Oh, geez, man. We got little tiny last time deer. we talked. Yeah, last time we talked about oh, this, we got kind of crucified because we said the wrong state. Yeah. Um, I think it's Maryland. I should know. I don't know. That, It'd be but... fun to go out uh, east sometime. I've never been out there. I want to also sometime. Um, I spent a lot of time out there, but never, never have deer hunted. All right, let's. Uh, one more thing I want to talk about, and then I'll announce the the winner of the um, workshop. But you put out a post on Facebook today about like what you want to improve next year. Mm-hmm. You have anything in particular you were thinking in your head that you were wanting to improve on? Uh, probably less wounding. More <laughs> I don't mean to laugh about that, but I get it. Yeah, well, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta accept when you have a problem and fix it. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. That it's, you... A, you know, to some degree, I want to say that it's uh, that it's just bad things that happen, but but on the other hand, um, bad things happen for a reason. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I think I do have a, a little bit of an issue when when it's a real big buck and you want to get an arrow in it and you try to do it fast. You, you want to kill him before he leaves. Yeah, it was Rush a doe. A I almost always kill the does. Because when they walk mm-hmm. in, you, you're like, oh, it runs away, it runs away. Who cares? So you wait yeah. till you get that shot, and you always seem to get that shot. And then when it's a buck, you think he's going to run at any second. You know that first buck, he was looking up at me, staring at me, and. uh I just felt like he was going to blow out of there any second. I think in retrospect, if I'd have just been patient, maybe he took a bone and stopped and looked back. Then he gives me a quarter and away shot or he just steps back and takes a turn or, you know, I think patience would be, uh, would have did me a little better. And if I didn't kill him that time, I'd kill him a different time. Instead, I killed him that time and I didn't recover him, which is sad. Right all the way around so i'd just rather just have not taken that shot so that's what i got to realize is that uh, just not do it you know um i really believe that i could just punch that arrow right through to the heart but uh yeah it just, it just didn't work that way um 
what do you are you what are you thinking about changing or doing to help? Uh, mostly just uh, the mindset, being a little more patient, trying to. Um, yeah. But uh, I probably need to practice a little more. Um, um, get really good at uh, different ranges and stuff. Um, not that that would help me with that particular buck. Um, right. But uh, I think it's a it's an area I could use some improvement on. I I, try, I kind of uh, everybody's got their things they're good at, you know, like um, everybody's got things they excel at and things that they're not as good at. And yeah. uh, for me, the uh, bow tinkering and stuff is uh, not what I'm as good at. You're a lot better at that. Um, for me, it's the scouting, the detective work is where I excel, so I can find them really well. Um, but I got to get better at the killing part. Mm -hmm. yeah. You only get so many opportunities when you put yourself in uh, tough situations. And, and I tend to, I mean, I, I tend to hunt pretty hard scenarios. So if you're only going to get so many, um, um, chances, you have to be able to capitalize on those chances when they happen. Not to mention, that, uh, it's just, it's not right to, to do that to deer. I mean, uh, I kind of respect him and I want to kill him cleanly. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. It's like, I think I was thinking about this the other day is like, it's almost like every time you kill one, you're almost in disbelief sometimes that it happened. You know, it's like a, a miracle to even get in front of one of these bucks and then to get an arrow in them, it's even harder. So everything just has to be, you know. Yeah. You perfect. know, I was kind of alluding to that earlier in the, the show that like hunting that buck now, it just seems like it's so impossible to kill it. Yeah. What keeps going through my head is how many times I've been in that situation and it happens because you're in that awe. You're like, how did this just happen? It just happened just like I envisioned it, like it was supposed to. And it happened. It's it's really because you, you, you're you smarter than you give yourself credit about figuring out where they're at. There's a really, I mean, the woods is only so big. There's only so many places it can be. And if you're yeah. looking at the best spot you found, it's probably the spot where he lives, right? So you're actually, right. you know, um, the thing is, uh, where me and you have a bigger advantage than the people that we've taught how to hunt like us, as we've been in that scenario many times, yeah. your back's against the wall and you end up killing one and you're like, okay, it worked, you know? And when you know that it's a lot easier to get up after going out a hundred, hundred hunts, hundred plus hunts this year, unsuccessfully. It's a lot easier for me to get out of bed and go crawl through that swamp a mile, knowing that I've done that in the past and it's worked. Yeah. Yeah. I think next year I'm going to really focus on trying to shoot a, like a giant in Indiana, at least. I think that's a big thing I'm going to focus on. I've always been happy with shooting, you know, the first nice deer that I see. And I think next year I want to focus in on a couple of specific bucks I have on camera that uh would be kind of like you know could be I potentially like focus too much on those giants oh really i end up a whole season going after them and don't get nothing and and uh or i, I could have really yeah shot well i mean i can deer. i went to another stage shot a nice deer or something but but um i i focus too much on the giants and then i spend a lot of time traveling too and that takes yeah. away my giant time and yeah I know that's another thing is <clears throat> it's kind of like this year I shot that, you know, nice buck in Indiana real early. And it was nice to have freedom 
to, to feel like I had freedom to go and like not have to worry about like what's going on in Indiana while I'm in Ohio or Illinois or whatever, you know. But um, yeah, I just I think I, I want to I want to try to kill a big big one. Like uh, last year, this year for me, I mean, I shot that giant yeah. five days into the season last year, and then I was sitting there like, now what? <laughs> yeah, hey, everybody, let's go hunting. Everybody's like, nah, you know, I'm good. <laughs> no, let's go. <laughs> you know, cause right. I because I got nothing going on, you know, and right, right. But uh, this year, you know, just total opposite. Yeah, yeah. Someone asked about what the biggest deer I've ever killed is, and it's like it's like a it's close to 160 inches. It's over there, and that's a really big deer, you know. But I've just killed so many deer now that are in that 120 to 130 range or one one whatever 135, and it's like I don't know. I don't I don't really have to shoot another one of those here in Indiana. You know, I can I can or you know at least give myself a college try of killing a, you know, a Boone and Crockett deer or whatever the case may be. Um, so now I say that right now and I, there may be 140 inch deer that walks in front of me, you know, on October 9th next year, <laughs> I might shoot it, but, uh, it sounds good right now. All right. One more thing, Mike, uh, thank you, man, for the donation. Uh, he, I don't think he had a question. He just is, telling us he appreciates the info we put out and he enjoys the videos. Um, thanks, thanks, Mike. Awesome. Guys, sorry about not getting to everybody's question. There was a bunch of them and a lot of comments. I think it was a good conversation tonight. I think this would be pretty popular letting uh, the community drive the, the show. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot easier for me and Dan, too. We don't have to think about what we're going to talk about. So, <laughs> anyways. Do what? We can talk about a whole bunch of things. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this was a good idea, though. This was fun. All right. Uh, so a dick uh, archery addict won the um, uh, the workshop for that that first week that Dan's going to do it the the fifth. So I uh, I'll message you on uh, I'll reply to the comment and give you my email archery addict and then just email me back. Uh, do it pretty quick. If you don't uh, don't get back to me within the next couple of days, I'll give someone else uh, the opportunity because. It's coming up here quick. So, everybody, have a uh, good night, and uh, we'll see you next time. See you. <laughs>